Okay, welcome back. Before we take up the, the formal part of the program again, please join me in thanking Country Kitchen Catering for a lovely lunch. So just by way of reminder, our topic today uh, for the SACPA session is why aren't more people using bicycles for transportation? Uh, just by way of a teaser, the topic for next week is same old story, unpacking, or same old story, I should say, uh, question mark, unpacking the 2012 Alberta provincial election. Harold Jansen, an associate professor of political science at the University of Lethbridge, will explore the layers and issues that affected the provincial election outcome and what we need to understand about it all, in short. <clears throat> Um, other upcoming sessions are listed on the website, www.sacpa.ca, uh, and that the current today's session and past sessions can be heard in audio on the website, where a session survey and comment blog are also available to keep the discussion going, so please join us uh, in the virtual world. Um, a suggestion box is also outside. If you have ideas or suggestions, please um, avail yourself of that. Um, and one quick announcement, uh, you'll, you'll have noticed that we lost one presenter on the way. Mark Pyle-Zieber just had a, a little bit of a health issue to attend to. Um, so what we're going to do is proceed with Anna Bree Fairweather, and I'm happy to, to play both the role of the moderator and to some extent at least um, a bit of a respondent as well, if that's appropriate for particular questions. Uh, so, uh, as you'll, as most of you will know, I'm sure, uh, you're invited at this time to ask questions. Uh, we ask that you state your name, keep your comments, um, brief and succinct, and limit yourself to one or two questions using the provided microphone, um, just over to my right here. Um, We'd also ask that uh, once you've asked your question and, and the discussion that has followed, um, please return to your seat to allow others to, to ask their questions. Uh, I believe that's uh, that's about it for the moment, so I'm happy to, to open the floor, and if someone has a question um, either about what uh, Anna Bree principally has said or about uh, cycling in Lethbridge or cycling as a form of commuting more generally, we're happy to entertain them at this time. Somebody better ask a question, otherwise I just keep talking. Hi, my name is... You're Hi, good. my Can name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for the presentation, Anna Bree. <clears throat> Having grown up in uh, Denmark, uh, biking is kind of second nature. Uh, I remember growing up, and uh, my very first day in school, I biked to school three miles, and and uh, standing in the schoolyard, of course, uh, I didn't know where to go. When the bell rang, so I just went home <laughs> on the bike. But anyway, I think you hit on something uh, very important. It's the culture of biking is uh, it's not going to happen unless we have infrastructure to support it. Uh, we wouldn't have any hockey players in town if we didn't have any hockey rinks or soccer fields. Or so can you expand a little bit upon the... Uh, for example, new subdivisions and new new developments, it would be a no-brainer to include a bike-friendly environment. 
And I think that is one of the important things the city has been looking at uh, currently is that as the city is expanding and we're expanding out into to really spaced out areas with clustered uh, uh, um, communities of houses, what, we're, what they are looking at is how they can integrate cycling as a way of getting around. And those are important. Uh, again, uh, I think the city has focused primarily on using the multi-use regional pathways that allow people to, to have uh, family walks and, and share time with their, their friends and family out on these, these scenic little pathways. But I think that uh, as the city has expanded, uh, we, we do have clustered regions of communities that don't connect to each other. And that's where we need to see some development for how, perhaps in new Copperwood uh, development, how they can connect downtown uh, or even down to, to, the, to the core west side now that they're sort of further from that west side. So I think the, uh, one of the things that we would like to see is uh, perhaps along those busy highway stretches to see uh, a pathway that is connected, that is separate from the, the road so that we, as cyclists who can maybe get up to 30, 40, or maybe 50 kilometers on some of these paths, uh, we aren't riding our bicycles beside vehicles who are going 90 or 100 kilometers an hour because that actually does pose a very real threat for us uh, and, and also for the, the drivers themselves. And so connecting these communities to each other all within uh, Lethbridge is something that the city is, is, is working on, but they're mostly focusing on those little, little communities of houses themselves primarily. And I, I think we need to look bigger than that. If, if I can just pick up on that, uh, my commute over here, I, I live in Sunridge on the west side, uh, so I'm along University Drive where my choices are either to be on a multi-use pathway where I'm going too fast for other traffic on that pathway or on the road where people often will either wait until they can give me 15 feet um, or will come very, very close, again, about that culture. And then across the bridge, that's prohibitive for some people. Um, and then up 7th, uh, we've... Bike Bridge has targeted 7th Avenue as a, as a potential cycling route. But to Anna Bree's point earlier, I counted 10 stop signs along the way. It's literally just an issue of signage to improve flow there, which would actually work for that, um, for that community as well. And then you come to 13th Street there. Bike Bridge proposed a, a, a bike, um, like a pedestrian crosswalk essentially for bikes there. And at some level, the, the, the answer was, uh, well, we'll build it when there's enough traffic. The point is we need to reverse that thinking and say if that's what makes sense, right, that gets cyclists separate from cars in terms of creating a, a separate pathway but one that has flow um, while keeping flow for automobiles as well. So I come to 13th and cars routinely stop for me at 13th, even though I'm a, I'm a vehicle at that point by the Motor Vehicles Act. Um, and then, as I said, you know, up 7th and turn on to, to Mayor McGrath, and which may be the worst um, offender in the city in, in that way. So it really is about, about infrastructure. We can't wait for the demand. We need to create the demand and then funnel it into the, the places that make sense, both for cyclists and for cars and, of course, for, for pedestrians and other users as well. And, and currently, just to follow even further on that, that we do see a lot of the ambiguity uh, and that sort of uh, lack of knowledge about where cyclists stand, even on the part of the cyclists. And so we do see individuals who are riding their bikes on the, the wrong direction, on the wrong sidewalk even, which can pose a threat uh, if, if they have to move around pedestrians and they pull onto the road and back up onto that sidewalk. It can be uh, particularly disastrous at times. And, and we see people who are, are blatantly not following any sort of road rule. They're sort of acting as pedestrians when 
it's convenient and acting as a vehicle when it's convenient. And that is, is uh, an, a not ideal situation. And, and at, at worst, it really is a potentially hazardous situation. So we need to have that education on both parts uh, so that we uh, can behave predictably, which is one of the, the best things that as a cyclist I can do for a driver is behave predictably and use my hand signals and indicate where I'm going or where I intend to go so that uh, drivers are able to move around me uh, without that concern of me suddenly cutting across because I need to turn left somewhere. Uh, hi, yeah, my name is Jean Oluxen. Uh Thank you for your presentation. I, I use a, uh, the multi-use pathways, but, but when I can't use those, I use the sidewalks and pedestrian crossings. Uh, maybe you're the wrong people to ask, but what is the city's enforcement policy towards those bylaws using sidewalks, using a, a bicycle on a sidewalk and bicycling across their uh, uh, intersections? The city's bylaws do allow them to get, give uh, cyclists a ticket who are biking on the wrong side of the, uh, or on the sidewalk instead of on the road, or if they're riding their bikes across the intersection in the crosswalk instead of riding their bikes as though they're in the, the vehicle lane. So the city will give a ticket of uh, $25 is the... It's about $25. As I've uh, never gotten one, even though I have ridden my bikes on the sidewalks at times. But uh, the city, I, I don't know how many tickets they do give out. I don't hear of a lot of people who get ticketed. And I think that the city uses uh, ticketing for cyclists, maybe for other reasons, that there are individuals who are uh, perhaps... Um, I, I think that we see a lot of individuals who have bicycles who live at the homeless shelter and they keep their ho their homes in the bags attached to the bicycles as well. And I think the city uses uh, other issues uh, to ticket people for and not necessarily the people who are cycling uh, in, in the core themselves. But about $25. And then also the city recently, a few years ago, tried to propose new city bylaws that allowed individuals on bikes and on, on uh, other vehicle uh, tools that they could ride their bikes on the sidewalk they tried to propose as well as mandatory bicycling helmets and that was something that uh, this the bike bridge had rallied together to and this was sort of our our uh, our birth uh, into the city was really coming out in response to the city bylaws that were, were poorly thought out and had not necessarily integrated uh, um, uh, how cyclists and even rollerblades and people on skateboards and how the different vehicles are, are uh, defined in our city and, and what rules that they must abide by as well. So that was one of the primary concerns uh, was how could the city enforce ticketing individuals who are in, um, in, in offense uh, to these or in contradiction to these rules. Thanks, Jim. Hi, my, <clears throat> my name is Jim Moyer. Uh, thanks for your presentation and thanks for the work your association is doing. <clears throat> My question is about when you ride to a business, a restaurant, or whatever, you get there, often there is no bike rack or an, an inappropriate bike rack. You have nowhere to put your bikes or lock it safely, whatever. <clears throat> and then just a comment about going to the west side. There are bus racks, and I, a friend of mine had a nice little generator, a little thing in the back hub so that uh, it could exert 50% of the energy going up the back the uh, West Side Hill. 
And and these are there are technologies that exist that uh, are are meant to facilitate the cyclist who is not uh, maybe uh, in in health good enough health that they would be able to ride up say whoop up drive at full speed. So e e bikes or having electronic uh, technology on the bikes can help facilitate that. One of our big issues is definitely once I get to the place that I want to get to. Well, how can I leave my, my bike unattended when it looks like it's an unsafe bike lock, that, that sometimes the bike racks aren't uh, um, cemented to the ground so that your bike is literally uh, f still free to be grabbed attached to a bike rack? And also, uh, what are the, the safety or perhaps the visibility of your bike uh, being locked up in an area? Sometimes bike racks are set up in areas that are out of the way and, and can... Uh, make it very easy for, for an individual to vandalize your bike or to, to take your bike if, if they spend a bit of time even cutting your bike lock. So something that we're trying to find out is whose responsibility is it to provide these bike racks? And it looks as though the city will provide bike racks when it's uh, city property, but when it's a, pr a business downtown in, in the core, for instance, it's up to the individual business to provide their own bike rack. And that can be an expense on businesses that they don't incorporate into their budgets. Uh, as well, it can, it can be burdensome uh, for uh, the, the businesses who are, are perhaps not, uh, don't have a clientele that are, are use their bicycles as frequently. I know the Penny is a fantastic organization that has a bike rack just outside of their building. And so does Round Street Cafe. And Round Street Cafe also has a, a fantastic deal that if you, bike your, if you ride your bike on Saturday morning to Round Street Cafe, they will give you free coffee, which is fantastic. I mean, to, to that broader point of a culture of cycling, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, which is why we appreciate the, the excellent and visible bike rack that we found here. Both Anna Bree's bike and mine can be found over on, on our bike rack. And uh, just one other point about the bike racks is that uh, for there are bike locks that you can get that will, for instance, I use a bike lock that is a, a big long cord that's difficult to, to cut through very easily, and I use this cord to wrap around, say, a tree, and I'll lock my bike to a tree because it's not likely that my bike can be stolen or lifted over the treetop. <coughs> but it does uh, pose a problem, yeah. Thank you very much for your presentation. My name is Frances Schultz. Um, and when you talk about city property, uh, it's all of the railings in front of the Bowman Art Center that are used for bike racks because there's no it's city property, but there's no bike rack there. Uh, what I would like to ask you is education programs for bicyclists. Do you have any? Are there any available? There are no information programs available in Lethbridge at this time. And uh, we, as BikeBridge Cycling Association, uh, with, with limited capacity, have focused our attention on um, communicating with the city about infrastructure development. But one of my personal goals that I, that I, I want to bring to the organization is that I, we have, uh, for instance, Burton Max is a great organization that helps. Uh, they rebuild bikes. They check bikes. They can help with some of those safety issues. And I would like to hold some of these uh, with, with experts who are knowledgeable in the area. Tips on how to, say, maintain your bike or check it just before the season when you start to ride it and how you can change your brakes when you need to change your brakes and when to know to change your brakes. So information that can help the cyclist be safe with their vehicle on the road. Uh, and other than that, I think that one of the behavior that can allow drivers to uh, know that cyclists aren't just going to weave in and out of traffic when it's convenient. Uh, speaking of uh, experts who have knowledge in the area, our next question comes from one. Hi, 
My name is Jerry Stratty. I have been in the bike business here in town for the last several decades. Unfortunately, every year we have to deal with a repair on a bike that has had an altercation with a motor vehicle. I can't remember repairing one when the cyclist was on the road. They're always when they're on the sidewalks and coming off onto the intersections or alleys or things like that. It's false security that you're safer on the sidewalk. Absolutely. Thank you. I was, um, just to, to Jerry's point exactly, I, I was uh, helping facilitate a class at the University of Lethbridge, um, long story short, taking people out and talking to them about cycling. Uh, and and said the the one thing, as Anna Bree said, is to be predictable. You know, find your line, stay on your line, don't weave in and out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a, I was I was riding with a, a fellow who didn't have much experience. And at a particular intersection, he wanted to get further away from traffic because he thought, of course, that this would be safer. And so he got off onto a little bit of a path, but the problem was the path ended. And, and so I watched him as the path ended, uh, you know, having no time to, to defend against this. I watched him as the path ended, decide that that was the point to re-enter the road. And, of course, the car who was to my left didn't know that he was about to do this and was changing lanes in exactly that converging direction. And he was, I'm dead convinced, uh, 10 centimeters from hospitalization because he just jumped back into the road. And I'm not indicting that particular cyclist. It's an issue of education, um, as our as our previous question hinted at. And to go back to what Anna Bree was saying, that's something that bike purchase had on the radar, but it, in part that's an issue of capacity. Uh, and in part, hopefully that's an issue of partnering with, with uh, Alpenland, for example. I just had to plug you there, Jerry. Yeah, thank you. Uh, before Tad's question, just to, to follow up that there are, the city has been developed without any intention of having cyclists sharing the road. And you can find examples of these opportunities as I'm, I, I'm biking perhaps on Stafford Drive towards 6th Avenue. And if I'm biking, it's, it's two lanes in each direction, but I'm on the farthest right lane and at some point that lane becomes its own right turn. It ends. And I have to de- decide if there's room for me, if I shoulder check and if I can move over into that continuing through traffic lane and if I don't if, if I'm not unable to do so because of the heavy traffic which at you know four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon it is I, I must then pull over onto the sidewalk hit the sidewalk button and cross as a pedestrian and those are decisions that I have to make it at uh, every time we encounter these roads that that do have a, ro- a lane that will become its own turning lane and it will end uh, and you see some cyclists bolt through and that's not necessarily safe uh, and, and again that's the car's right of turn now at that point so it can be very unsafe for those reasons Thank you very much for your presentation my name is Tad Mitsui probably the answer to my question can be answered by my previous questioner but uh, this is a technical question I hadn't had a car for 20 years before my retirement, both in Montreal and Toronto, I always cycled. And uh, Montreal was the last place I worked as an active person. And uh, of course, we brought our bicycles to the Lethbridge, and I was too scared to cycle here. and that is not only the uh, problem of the road, but because of the problem of my aging. I became slightly unstable. So uh, for a person like uh, me who want to, wants to uh, continue cycling, do you have any suggestion technically 
instead of uh, training wheels, uh, you know, uh, uh, is there any technical solution to this problem? Because I want to keep on cycling. And you want to cycle as a means of commuting, not just leisurely cycling, right? So uh, the, there are considerations to be made for individuals who might be in Tad's situation of perhaps having a little bit of an unstable balance. Uh, and and at, at the other end of the age spectrum, we have uh, youth who, who I, I would actually say should not be on the roads either because of perhaps uh, unskilled abilities that are not yet developed for, for road sharing. And I think that uh, my, my position in the city does not have a position on this at this time, except I think they're forgiving of individuals individuals for riding on the sidewalks uh, under those circumstances. But I, I think that sidewalk cycling would be safest for some individuals, but you must recognize that you are the vehicle on a sidewalk, and so you would have to yield uh, at, at every moment that you must yield, especially going around corners. And if you're cycling on the sidewalks, it means that when you cross those crosswalks, you must dismount from your bike and walk it across as though you are a pedestrian. So those those are the, the difficult parts of... of um, uh, for individuals who, who are in your situation, Tat. Jason might have something to, to add. I was just going to say, depending depending on the particular circumstances, uh, I might suggest that some of those um, power assist technologies, to call them that, might help, um, in that you're, it's actually tougher to balance your bike when you're going slower. So if, if that is part of the issue, then um, you know just having, having a um, even partially motorized um, will generate a little bit more speed and will make the will improve the balance. But I, I'm certainly uh, there may be other suggestions around the room as well. Tricycle, <laughs> unicycle? No. <laughs> I've, I've actually seen uh, at at the um, at the city council meetings debating those bylaw recommendations. I saw an, uh, a full size that is adult size tricycle that, as it happened, had two big boombox speakers attached to it. I'm not suggesting that the speakers have to be your show, Tad, but, uh, but there are certainly options. And, and somebody like uh, Jerry or somebody at Burton Max uh, would, would know those better than, than Anna Bree or I, I suspect. My name is Mark Gettle, and uh, I'm interested in these power-assisted bicycles, and I'm just wondering how are they regulated, and do you foresee a, a situation where they're going to become faster and stronger and, uh, and start co conflicting with pedal bikes? Because I can sort of see that if you're pedaling away and someone's zooming behind you at a power-assisted bicycle. So where, where does a power-assisted bicycle become a motorcycle, and how are they regulated, and do you see a, a conflict developing there as this technology develops? I'm 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 speaking a little bit off the cuff. Uh, I, my intuitive response to that is is I would say uh, yes, there certainly is the potential, um, as is always the case when you've got vehicles going different speeds. But I'm not sure. I'm not convinced necessarily uh, that that presents any more of an issue than um, you know. On my way here, I I passed a cyclist who was just going slower than I was, and on more occasions, usually I will be passed by someone going faster. So I'm not sure that that necessarily leads in that direction. Um, as far as how that will be regulated, this is one of the important questions. Uh, the, the city has sort of gone back to the drawing board with respect to these bylaw recommendations, one problem of which was there was no differentiation, as Anna Bree mentioned, between no meaningful differentiation between even bicycles and rollerblades and, and skateboards, for example. So it was a, it was a horn its nest in that way. So uh, time, time will tell is the short answer that I don't mean to be as dismissive as, as it may sound.
for we do have someone who's on our board of directors who does use uh, an, a cycle assist mechanism on his bike, especially for getting up uh, to and from uh, the west side to the south side. So getting up Whoop Up Drive, which can be exhausting. And so for for this individual, he's he's in in very good shape, but he does use it just at that top end to get up, and it doesn't increase his speed significantly. For him, he can still cycle his bike, and it is still pedaling him to forwards. It's just that it's uh, also relieving some of the uh, this, the, I guess the resistance from his bike and, and the turning of the pedals itself. So he doesn't zoom past, uh, and I'm not sure, again, how that technology might develop for, for increasing speed. My name is Mary Shillington, and this is kind of a follow-up to Francis's uh, education question. Um, I've been a person at so sometimes would ride my bike uh, west on 20th to Mayor McGrath and then sidewalk it to uh, Lethbridge Family Services on 2nd Avenue A North. Uh, in that period, I either I didn't know or I chose not to know. I'm not sure which it was. Uh, I, I When I came to an intersection and still going north on Mayor McGrath, I would look very carefully for traffic and then just pedal across as fast as I could go to get out of the way. Uh, now, so that's one of the questions. Uh, I, guess, I gather I should have stopped my bike and got off. Uh, could have got a ticket. The other question is, if I'm, I, I've had the experience of riding on, on the shared sidewalk and and trying to notify pedestrians who were going the same direction as me that I was coming up on them uh, by doing it vocally, sometimes they were still startled. What is the proper etiquette? I assume I should go on their left side. Uh, that's what I chose to do, and I notified them. Should we have some kind of signal thing? Uh, are we supposed to do it vocally? You know, what what are those those uh, etiquette or rules? Absolutely, and that, I'm going to answer your second question first. Uh, in that, uh, our, our bylaws state that we must have a bell or a little—I actually don't—or or a little horn on your bike so that you can indicate to people, especially when you're coming up behind them. Uh, and often, if the wind is facing that wrong direction, they aren't going to hear you even as, as loud as you yell. And, and sometimes you can startle people by yelling, and sometimes they don't hear you at all until you're upon them. And so, having a little bell, or even—I uh, saw somebody who has um, Christmas bells, little jingle bells that dangle. From from their, their seat, and it's, it makes enough noise that people hear it, and they'll turn and they will see that you're coming. So a, a noise indicator would be helpful, uh, but if you don't have a, a horn or a little bell that's on your on your, your bike that you can readily use, then yelling is the best that you can do to indicate that you're coming up behind somebody. Sometimes you can yell passing on the left, although that doesn't always work because people turn in any direction and see where you're coming from, but you can give an indication for wh which side you're, you'll pass on. And uh, often we recommend passing on the left side because the left-hand lane in driving is the faster lane to drive in anyway when we're uh, passing a vehicle. So that would be the best way to do it. As for, for crossing, say, uh, on your sidewalks, so that you're crossing uh, and you're, you're not dismounting, but you're biking across as quickly as possible to get out of the way of the vehicles as quickly as possible, I presume, and also not to have to dismount every moment that you, you come to an intersection, uh, the city bylaw uh, does say that you, you should 
dismount and walk in the crosswalk. Uh, one of the concerns when we're, we're, we look and we don't see a vehicle and we can speed through the intersections, uh, so long as you're, you're thoroughly looking uh, and you, you ensure that there is no vehicle there, but sometimes a vehicle will suddenly be there and if they don't see you in time and you don't see them in time, that can pose a, a, a more serious situation than if you were a pedestrian. As pedestrians, we walk slower. We're easier targets in that sense, but we're also easier to spot before we become targets. So my recommendation is, as best you can, uh, to, to walk across the intersection, but recognizing that that's a, a pain uh, sometimes. We have time for one, or maybe two more questions. Are you allowing me to ask another question? I'll, I'll put it to a democratic vote by a show of hands. <laughs> Canute, you only got two takers, sorry. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I'm just wondering about schools. Uh, are you doing any work with the schools? Uh, I understand that schools are not at all encouraging kids to bike to school. Uh, that, that would seem to be an obvious place to concentrate some effort, is to get kids biking to school. Or walking, of course. Uh, yeah, that, and that is one of the best ways that we can start. So far, we don't have, uh, as our, our association, we don't necessarily have the relationships with schools to be able to enter as a, an official program. Uh, I don't know if Bike Bridge will, will ever be in that situation to, to enter into schools for that. But one thing we are working on currently is working with the Helen Schuler. Um, uh, Nature Center. Nature Center, thank you. And, and working with Helen Schuler Nature Center, they're offering a, a tour, and it's a bike tour through the coolies uh, intended for youth and, uh, and something that Bike Bridge Cycling Association will be doing is, is we will have our, our own board of directors, a few of us, go and bring our bikes and talk about bikes, talk about the hand signals and perhaps some of the safety issues, especially with wearing helmets, and, and we'll be able to do a little toured bike uh, path through the coolies with youth. And I think that's one of the, the starting points that we can go from in educating people about cycling, but that is not necessarily road smart uh, uh, street, street cycling itself. That, starting with youth, uh, is a good direction. And the example that I would add, and this isn't about the school, but at the, recently there was a, a kids festival, or maybe it was called a family festival, at the, uh, at the exhibition grounds, and one of the uh, stations, if you like, that was set up, was uh, seemed to have been at least set up by set up and operated by uh, the police service, and so you'd wait in line for a certain amount of time. They would connect children with a bike that was their size, with a helmet. They were asking children if they had a helmet at home. If they didn't, they had inexpensive helmets that they were sending home with the kids, and then they sent them through. Our our little guy went through this session where you know he he rode along a certain area, and they explained on the other side what a yield sign meant or what a stop sign meant, and did hand signals and that sort of thing to see that extended into the schools. Um, obviously, in a developmentally appropriate way, because uh, this was pitched at mostly younger uh, potential cyclists and cyclists, uh, I, I think would be great. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're just about out of time, so we'll make this the last question. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Steve Burnell, and thank you for your presentation. I thought I'd just expand a little bit on, on training in that. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a walk and wheel safety fair that was put on by um, Safety City, uh, the City of Lethbridge, and Lethbridge Regional Police uh, Services uh, at the um, uh, exhibition. Uh, it was sponsored. There were 50, I believe, helmets donated and provided out to kids. We set up a... Uh, I, th I think that th these kinds of things, um, 
illustrate that the seeds are there and exactly it just needs to find some teeth and and for for it to get some traction i mean that was very popular at the kids festival my hope is that that all of these things working in concert with one another build that that culture that i was talking about earlier because that's having cycled in in very cycling friendly cities having commuted in very cycling friendly cities you really notice the difference i was in minneapolis has uh, instituted um, some infrastructure over the last few years and it's amazing to be in downtown minneapolis it feels like you're on a different continent it feels very european to go back to a, an earlier uh a question I, th- I think we're away from the um uh, from the amsterdam bike parking lot that i bet you held ten thousand bikes uh, no exaggeration. We're, that's quite a ways away, but I think we can make some real inroads. All right. Uh, that has taken us to time, so let me just check my instructions here. Uh, my instructions are to thank uh, Anna Bree, so please join me in, in thanking Anna Bree Fairweather and, and Mark, even though he's not with us right at the moment. Uh, thanks principally to you, to the audience, for attending, for listening, for your thoughtful questions. Uh, and once again, please join me in thanking Country Kitchen Catering.